0: Oh, hey. Sorry I didn't see you there. This is an audio medium.
1: If you grew up with Disney Channel shows, DCOMs, and music, the Time Machine is ready for you to take a trip back to those golden days.
0: Quick! Before the time reaches 8-7 Central! What is up, Time Travelers? Welcome back to the Time Machine Podcast with me, Becca Stogner.
1: And me, do not adjust your um, <laughs> listening device. This is Hunter speaking to you. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the weather is changing, and so is my voice. All right. Um, and Moms that's what happens little boys
0: when talk like that at this age. <laughs>
1: I'm going through changes, all right? Um, so yeah, well, guess what? I can now sing the hit country song better lock them doors and turn the lights down low I think I do that every time <gasps> I I know I, I I know I did it. I know I did it great. Oh, I feel like I make that I make that joke every time my voice goes away. I
0: just started laughing so hard when you came on the Zoom because like TikTok has been running rampant with these filters of people just like sounding like SpongeBob. Yeah. And in my mind, my mind was like, "Oh, it's a TikTok voice filter, but it's not. <gasps> this is real life."
1: Last night, I could hear myself talking, and I thought I sounded like Barney. Like, "Hello, <laughs> boys and girls. Um,
0: <laughs> it's weird. You know who didn't lose their voice? Despite who? seeing Paramore yesterday, <laughs> it, was oh, me. it was me.
1: Oh, Lord. Did, did they sing um, Airplanes? No. Can we attend that? <laughs> what did they sing? Well, what, was the, um, what was the song that you're like, oh, this is the hit, but like. Was there any ones that they like kind of remixed to make it new and like
0: Not some hits? really on this tour? I mean, literally they only have one new song out, which is This Is Why. So well, they, yeah, opened, but did, did they, they opened did They opened with This Is Why and the rest of it was just all like older songs.
1: Well yeah, did they sing um, I Should Be Over All the Butterflies? Mm-hmm. That's a good one. Correct. <laughs> Coming from a Paramour fan as myself, that's a good one. <laughs> um what was the one that like the crowd went crazy for?
0: Honestly, the most people knew the words to "This Is Why." Like the crowd was so hyped for "This Is Why," I could barely hear the song. And then as soon as the second song started, every like a lot of people were like, "I don't know this."
1: What was the second song? Do, it was it, it was
0: Brick by Boring Brick. It was from their uh, third album, oh. Brand New Eyes. You might know I, it if you heard it, but I don't know if you would know it by. Title.
1: Give me a line. Give it's me the a line. one that's
0: like. But up, up, but up. No, I don't know it. But it wasn't, um, like, a hit, so if you only know the hits, you wouldn't.
1: wasn't a hit. Um, yeah, I only know the hits. But they have a lot of them, so I feel like if I went to a Paramore concert, I would still have fun.
0: You'd probably know at least five songs, and you would have fun because they just put on, like, the best show in the world. I mean, I know I'm yeah. a little biased because I brought it um, up, but.
1: <laughs> this is, has nothing to do with what we're talking about, but this is to hold ourselves accountable. Um, Allie and AJ are coming back on tour, and... We said if they come back on tour, we may want to go see them. But you are like, I don't know. I don't listen to their well, stuff.
0: Well, because I looked over – I listened to them in passing. I don't listen to them a lot. But I looked over their set list for the tours that they've been doing. And based on that set list, Potential Breakup Song is the only song I would know. See, when I went a couple
1: years ago, it was when they were first coming back. So they sang a lot of their old stuff.
0: Yeah, and that's kind of what I thought. It would be like more of a mix, but it seems like recently it's been like all new stuff with like maybe Well cuz they're two. new
1: cuz they're they've come out with new stuff and their new stuff is really good.
0: It is very good. I'm um, not saying it's not very good. I'm just saying that I don't know. Yeah. It.
1: I d- I doubt they'll sing into the rush like they did when I went.
0: <laughs> oh my god. Or like whoa. Yeah.
1: Cuz now now they have a bigger <laughs> discography now so they can kind of um you know.
0: Well, that's a little uh not like sidebar Disney 411 if you didn't know and you want to see Ali and AJ on tour.
1: Yeah. Get the um get your on ticket. tickets. If like you couldn't get your pre code for Taylor Swift or Paramore. <laughs>
0: Where's Ali and AJ's uh, Eras tour?
1: Right. Um, well, I think it's time to officially get into some Disney 411. Disney 411. All right, we have a lot of stories to get through and a lot of big news. Um so we'll actually get into it. Um the first um news is um Ashley Tisdale. So, um, Ashley Tisdale, CBS, is looking for, to Ashley Tisdale for its new comedy hit. Um, the network has put in development the single-camera comedy Brutally Honest, set to star Tisdale. The comedy, which is loosely inspired by Tisdale's life, explores how having a baby can ruin, save, change, destroy, and inspire your marriage, dot, 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 all before lunch. Um, Tisdale will also serve as Executive producer on Brutally Honest um, Also um, Over a couple of days ago um, It turns out Ashley Tisdale and this is kind of a Another story but since we're still Talking about Ashley Tisdale I want to get your Thoughts after I do this one as well Okay um, Ashley Tisdale and Austin Butler are all In this family <laughs> tree together um, Apparently Ashley Tisdale is a part of this sh- YouTube show called Ancestries: Two Lies and a Leaf um, uh, the actress is, <laughs> the actress learns that she's related to her f- friend and former Sharpay's Fabulous Adventure co-star, Austin Butler. The revelation that they're actually 10th cousins once removed. Oh my God. The, <laughs> right. Um, comes after, uh, yeah.
0: 10th, yeah. <laughs> Girl, y'all um, are related by a whisper and hope. Like, oh my God.
1: <laughs> well, after it was, well, they had, she had to guess. What former co-star she's related to? Either Zach Efron, Dylan Nichols Sprouse, or Austin Butler? And <laughs> she says, Austin and I always say that we're like fraternal twins born very par- far apart because he's much younger. And we've always had that connection. And after guessing correctly that she and Austin are part of the same lineage, Ashley says, It's no wonder they have such an indescribably strong bond. We've always said we're brother and sister. She raves. This is insane. Welling up with tears over the news, Ashley Tisdale adds, I, I literally am going to
0: cry. Well, she also said in that, I saw the video on TikTok, and when they present her with the three options of who she's related to, she says she has smooched almost all of them.
1: Yeah. <laughs> so, what are your...
0: <laughs> oh, imagine like me and you, imagine kissing like me your 10th cousin on your We're
1: like ten cousins.
0: I don't think it would change anything.
1: Yeah, I'd be like, oh, cool. <laughs> I'd be like, funny. okay. funny. <laughs> But like aren't we all like aren't like what isn't your worst fear like you're like your kiss you kiss someone or like you're dating someone and you find out you're like tenth cousins? Would would that be a deal if you're breaker? Tenth
0: cousins, it I, I don't even I've never heard anyone say tenth cousin once removed but until you said it just now. Yeah. So I think I don't wanna get into familial dating relations on the podcast, but I think anything past like second cousin is okay.
1: Yeah. Oh. <laughs> I want to hear what y'all want to think, listeners. Is it <laughs> is it weird? Anyway, like good for them.
0: I mean, they're not dating, so I guess it doesn't matter. They're not dating, and
1: I guess like they're so close, and now it probably will make them closer. And like, okay, but
0: let's double back on the Ashley Tisdale okay. pilot news for a second. Ashley
1: Tisdale, let's come back to the screen.
0: While that is exciting, this reads to me as she may not be on hsmt mts
1: unless i mean in development that means it's True, not shooting yet. but
0: i don't know like how busy she would be i don't know i mean there's literally seems to be so much up in the air that it doesn't seem like anything is off the table until every single episode in the season has aired yeah. so I
1: mean, yeah i mean is zach efron gonna be in it he's shooting that weird movie that <laughs> his wig looks like lord farquad <laughs> Um, and then, what was it? Over oh. the weekend, they were having some convention celebrating Kenny Ortega. The Kenny Ortega, yeah. I don't know what it's called, but it literally was like every project like of Dreams Kenny Ortega. It's like Dreams
0: something. And yeah.
1: Vanessa Hudgens was there.
0: High School Musical boys giving us the ick this week with Zac Efron's Lord Farquaad wig and the picture you sent me of Lucas Gravio, like, <laughs> touching his butt and bending over weird I'm, at the Kenny Ortega convention. I'm surprised, convention.
1: <laughs> I'm surprised um, Vanessa was there.
0: Same. She was certainly not there last year.
1: It was it was a certain it was like the regular like attendees like Corbin, Lucas, uh, Bart Johnson. Yeah. Um, But I think the only person that can get all of them together in a room is Kenny. Correct. Um, How long do you think it's been since Drew Seely and Drew Seely was there? Um, Drew (laughs) Seely and Vanessa saw each other.
0: Oh, yeah, they did.
1: There's this video of Corbin and Vanessa talking while Lucas is saying something. They were gossiping the entire time. And someone zoomed in on it and said, Not Corbin and Vanessa gossiping.
0: Not them talking behind my boy's back. (laughs) I don't think they were
1: talking about Lucas, but they were talking about. Say it to his face! They're talking about like a situation. Um, Oh, that's funny though. Julie and the Phantoms were there.
0: They were there um, the time before as well.
1: I know. I just think it's a big get that um, Vanessa was there. Um, so I think, like you said, it's gonna be up in the air until the final episode of the new high school musical season if Zach, Ashley, and Vanessa will be there. yeah, I'm leaning more towards no. The more it gets, the more I'm seeing e- things.
0: I'm leaning towards maybe not Zach, but I think I think Vanessa probably would have flat out denied it by now, and I think there's always a chance with Miss Tisdale, so.
1: There's always a chance. I could but be like looking
0: a fool in a few months' but I think time. Right, but, but I
1: think right now Vanessa and Ashley aren't really on speaking terms. That's what the grapevine is saying.
0: The YouTube cover, did that mean nothing?
1: Like four years ago. Still! She just, like, I think it's an Austin Butler thing. Because Vanessa and Austin Butler dated for like 10 years. And now, and now like, is she I,
0: mad that Ashley Tisdale suddenly related to her ex?
1: <laughs> Maybe. Is I that what it is? <laughs> There's no concrete – I think it's just maybe they're not as close as they used to be, which okay. could be – Well, that um, doesn't
0: – if you say somebody is not on speaking terms, that means that something, like, went down.
1: Oh, I don't think anything went down. I think it's just kind of, like, they have their own lives now.
0: Oh, well, that's um, different. And she's
1: probably just – I don't – I'm not trying to start anything. I'm just noticing.
0: Don't scare me like anyway,
1: that. Anyway, jeez. Um, s- here, speaking of scary, but, like, scary, scary in a good way because, like, I'm, s- I'm, like, frightened it's not going to happen these are brand new developments these next two stories disney channel adjacent related all right i'm covering it because we need to stay on top of these two subjects um and it will be awesome all right because they both aired on disney channel as reruns so it counts all right first up is freaky friday 2 sequel watch all right we're gonna report on if there's any developments around this um (laughs) here we go this is the first story it's uh uh, it sounds like Lindsay Lohan and Jamie Lee Curtis will be making a Freaky Friday sequel. Um, Jamie Lee is, you know, has the flag, the Freaky Friday flag, and Lindsay Lohan is behind her. This is what Jamie Lee has to say. She was just recently interviewed. There's no scheduled date, but we're talking. Curtis told um, she was at the Glass Onion's Knives Out mystery premiere. Yeah. People are t- and she goes, people are talking. The right people are talking. Curtis said she and Lohan discussed their possible big screen reunion last Sunday. <gasps> she, Jamie Lee Curtis goes, I'm 64 in a week and Lindsay is 36. A sequel lends itself so beautifully. We're both committed to it and it's not ours to make. It's Disney's to make. And I think they're interested and we're
0: talking. The way I am so down bad for a 64 year old woman. Like, <laughs> I think. The way I would pick a gum off the Las Vegas sidewalk with my two front teeth for Jamie Lee Curtis if she asked me to.
1: The way? <laughs> I don't know, listeners, what I'm going to do if this actually does happen.
0: It, at this point, okay, because we've gotten the one-two punch of, like, this kind. these rumors kind of came in as Jamie Lee Curtis was, like, winding down her Halloween Ends press. She, but then she needs a new franchise. She was on the Glass Onion red carpet, and they asked her who her, like, cast for her murder mystery would be. And oh, while yeah. looking right at the camera, she says Lindsay Lohan and Mark Harmon. And she alluded, which are her cast members from Freaky Friday, obviously. And she alluded to um, Jodie Foster as well. She said Jodie
1: Foster, which is like her real life friend. But because I'm a freak, because I'm a freak, (laughs) Jodie Foster played Lindsay Lohan's role in the original Freaky Friday. Right. I know I'm reading too much into it, but I'm like, hmm. hmm."
0: Listen, if Taylor Swift can drop Easter eggs, I can be a fool for Jamie Lee Curtis Easter eggs.
1: Oh, I'll always be a fool. A fool. I'm the court (laughs) I'm the court jester, baby.
0: And I, your good sir, <laughs> whatever like, the jester's assistant would
1: be. Someone really has to check on me if they finally <laughs> announce a Freaky Friday 2. I'm like, like like uh, a wellness well, check. A wellness check.
0: Watch this space because well, you'll, you'll hear it from us.
1: And, of course, Lindsay Lohan is doing press for her new Christmas movie. And literally every question, rightfully so, is being asked Freaky Friday 2. And she's alluding to it like, yeah, me and Jamie are talking. Like, which means it's not just her and Jamie shooting the shit, you know? Yeah. Part of my franche. <laughs> but <laughs> it's like her, Jamie, and the mouse house.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Come on. Come on.
0: Is Mickey in the room with us now?
1: Mickey? Well, <laughs> Mickey Mickey has a lot of calls to make. Because our last story is Disney is returning to the world of the Princess Diaries.
0: I saw this.
1: Um. So, a script is being penned for a new installment for Disney, which sources say is a continuation of the Anne Hathaway-led series of films rather than a reboot, so a Princess Diaries 3. Anne Hathaway does not have a deal to return, according to sources, but she, along with Julie Andrews, has publicly stated their support for a third installment, and the hope is they would both return should the potential new film move forward beyond the script um, stage. So... It better we have we're a lot closer now to a princess iris three than we are to a freaky friday two but there's a script and it's going to be produced by the same people who produced the first two it's going to be a continuation of the of the two movies rather than a reboot do you think Anne hathaway and julie andrews are not attached yet
0: mm-hmm.
1: do you think they'll be back i hope so I think they wouldn't make this announcement unless something is in the works with them.
0: Right. Right? Well, yeah, if they're saying that it's a direct sequel and not a reboot, they have yeah. to at least have a fraction of a thought that they'll be able to get somebody on board. Right. I need Joe to come back.
1: I need to... What if it's about, like... I know Anne Hathaway's character had, a like, a sibling at the end of the second movie. What if like to work around it? To like it's still in the same world. It's about the the, the sibling. Mm. But they're not connected royally, so that wouldn't make mm. sense. I know. I would rather it be like Princess Mia taking on like the King of France.
0: Right. A coup in cr- Genovia.
1: <laughs> I need Anne Hathaway, Chris Pine, and Julie Andrews all back and then we'll we're good. Yeah. Um see Freaky Friday two has a leg up. <laughs> There's no script, there's no studio, there's no time.
0: But the Uh, two lead stars are chomping at the bit to do it. But I know
1: Anne Hathaway has been. Yeah. And Julie Andrews, so I'm assuming they know.
0: I really hope that the world has enough room to give us both of these gifts and not just one.
1: If we can get Hocus Pocus 2 and Disenchanted in the same year, I will be... And imagine so two years true. later, we have Freaky Friday 2 for Thanksgiving and then Princess Diaries 2 for Christmas <laughs> 3. OK,
0: when we come back with our month of Mary, I'm sure we'll have both watched Disenchanted by then. So we're going to have to do like a quick little rundown like we did for Focus yeah. Focus 2. I'm also watching the new Santa Claus show. Me too. Only because Elizabeth Mitchell.
1: I just love the Santa Claus movies.
0: I do too. I like the first two. But Elizabeth Mitchell yeah, I is love so freaking hot.
1: Well, during the press run, Tim Allen just went on record that he does not like the third one, um, which is fair. Yeah. Um, anyway, well, that is um, the end of our Disney 401 stories. But, of course, we have a Raven's
0: Home <laughs> rehash. Speaking of all these reboots. <laughs> <laughs> Let me tell you something. Um, so this week's Raven's Home was not. Bad.
1: Um, wasn't bad, wasn't terrible, wasn't bad.
0: There's not really like an A plot, B plot. It's kind of one of those where the whole plot is tangential to each other. But Ivy shows Alice a disaster movie in which a mega earthquake happens. And so Alice becomes afraid and decides that the family needs to have a bunker plan. So on what happens to be a very big day for Booker, Raven, and Victor for all separate reasons... Alice locks them all in this bunker That she constructed and they can't get out Um to go about their day
1: Which if you are that's a Raven fan You will notice this is the Basement that used to be Raven's room Mm -hmm. I knew that green door
0: I knew that green door
1: And the the banister I'm glad they like kept like little like hints that this used to be Raven's room I know but can you imagine
0: like Going back in time and showing ourselves Like mid watching season 4 The coolest room we've ever seen and being like Okay, so in a little more than like 10 years, this is going to be a end of the world bunker and there's going to be food <laughs> on shelves. You're like, where's the swinging bed? Um, and this also, this episode, I guess I jumped the gun last week because they did confirm verbally in this episode that Cammy is in fact on that school trip to Costa Rica, but she is on that school trip with her ex-girlfriend. So Booker is nervous this whole episode about why Cammy hasn't called him yet. Yeah. And he has a vision that Cammy is going to call him. But of course when they're in that room, they don't have service. So Booker's like freaking out the whole time. And then right at the end of the episode, um, everybody is like, Booker, she's living your her life, you should live yours, and Cammy calls and he hangs up the phone. I was like, Trouble I know she's man. I know she's gonna be mad.
1: Trouble in Paradise.
0: <laughs> Maybe
1: um, Adrian Bylone is back.
0: Way Drain is back. We only got a few scenes of Raven and Alana together. They ha- they have a assignment to build a Barracuda float for the school. The few scenes that they got arguing together were my favorite moments of this episode. Oh yeah. They're magical. There other were some than good, there other some good Raven moments. Other than the one moment where when they're in the basement and Raven discovers a trumpet and she's like, oh, <laughs> When I was younger, I used to walk around the house and play this trumpet and sing, and then it magically disappeared. And she looks at Rondell, and he's like, "Yeah." <laughs> but then, like Raven is like singing. Raven was funny in this episode. She was
1: funny. The I enjoyed her. There's
0: like two different times where she gets mad at Alice, and she goes, "Little girl." <laughs> oh yeah. <That laughs> Alice. Funny. Also, at one point in this episode, um, Alana calls Raven to figure out where she is. And her phone goes to voicemail. And Raven's voicemail is apparently canonically, oh, snap, you missed me. <laughs>
1: <laughs> we love it. What if it was, you missed me, you nasty?
0: Ugh, that would have been too much, I think. Yeah. Also, I'm just like, like like I said, this wasn't a bad episode because it gave us, like, good moments. I'm yeah. so tired of a Booker jealousy plot, though, because, like, this is, like, the ninth plot we've got about Booker being jealous over Cammy. yeah and, and maybe
1: it's maybe it's over cuz she's going to break up with him maybe my i just heard my voice back it is sounds like a filter's on it it does so it so sounds sorry weird ever, i'm so it's sorry okay. for everyone who's hearing me right now
0: um the, something that's super strange oh my god wait another funny moment um booker and raven are like bickering and booker says like oh you're single to raven and she goes your phone ain't ringing <laughs> yeah <laughs> Raven was on her roasting business. In do you this think episode. the sh-
1: okay, do you think the show would be better if Raven and Booker weren't mother and son? What do you mean? I don't know. Maybe like have more banter like that?
0: Maybe like, if maybe- they didn't have the relationship that they have, like if they were mother and son, but it was like they were always they were they were so sassy. And she took him well, to San Francisco because she had to keep an eye on him because he's the sassy boy
1: yeah I don't know. A part of me was like this is like when I first heard Raven's home because they want to make Raven like Raven, but sometimes I'm like, I can't like Raven's funny when she's like going at book or like that. yeah and maybe now that he's older, it makes more sense because your relationship changes as you get older with your parents like yeah it does. I make jokes with my parents I would never because you're older yeah um so I think that's part of it, but a part of me was like what if, like, Raven wasn't, like, a parent? So, like, she could be, like, ooh, you're so, like, more, like, say you're a little nasty. Ooh, I don't like you. Get away from me. Kind of, like, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, like, it makes sense that she's a parent to him. But part of me is, like, ooh, I would just, like, love a little more. Uh, but now that they're older, she can make jokes like that. Like, well, your something, phone ain't ringing.
0: <laughs> something bizarre about this plot is that Neil's um, grandmother, his abuelita, is coming into town. And he wants her to meet Booker. And there's a moment where they're at the chill Girl because Booker's supposed to be there for lunch. And Neil is talking about all the crazy story. Like, Neil is literally doing a season recap and just being like, oh, yeah. this is all the crazy. Which is, which is helpful. <laughs> this is all the crazy stuff that we've done. And halfway through that conversation, his grandmother is like, oh, Booker is your imaginary friend. Because, like, no way none of like any of that stuff happened. But then yeah. she finally meets Booker and is like, Huh? Like your lives are actually this zany, which I thought was kind of like a funny way to self-reference the way the Disney Channel shows yeah. can be. I
1: mean, when they're when you're friends with a Raven Baxter descendant,
0: uh, what else can you expect?
1: Um, you know what? I can't wait to expect Tanya, <laughs> Tanya, y'all, y'all next oh, week. Um, Tanya one more, is well, back. one more
0: note on this episode before we okay. just get on the Tanya hype train. Yeah. Um, There is a moment where Raven's assistant Nikki is at work by herself because Raven's obviously in the basement and she starts like inadvertently doing her job because Raven's not there. And she says, why does work happen to hot people? Which I thought was a wonderful Wait, quote.
1: I ask that every day. Every day. To myself. <coughs> so next week, Tanya is back.
0: She is back.
1: After so many years in the cooker, she's finally released... She's finally are Okay what are our What are our theories Of what she's been doing And let's see if we're gonna be right
0: I think they're going to make a joke About how she's been gone the whole time Like some They're gonna figure out some way to make a joke They're going Mm -hmm. to definitely say That she was still in London And sending money Mm -hmm. Um, Uh And then she's going to find a way To lickety split it out of there At the end of that Yeah
1: Do you think there will be Some sort of like why didn't you come home for Victor kind of thing? See, I don't know. I I would love
0: that. I would too, but at this point, it feels like Victor's heart attack has been completely forgotten about. Like, it hasn't been mentioned. Man has been eating meat and potatoes. He's been eating good. So, I do Yeah, so it's like, why
1: is Raymond still here? I almost
0: don't know if they'll mention it, and if they do, I think I'll be a little bit surprised.
1: We'll have to wait and see. I cannot believe she's back. She's back from I'm the so dead. Excited. We thought she died. So, the day this episode drops is the day Tanya returns.
0: Okay. Um so you will be able to hear that Raven's Home rehash from us when we hit you back up on Friday, December 2nd.
1: But before that, before month of Mary begins, great...
0: before we kick before up our Mary heels begins. with Tanya,
1: we have a great episode.
0: Oh, my gosh. You guys, we got to do another Disney Channel chat. How crazy is that?
1: Oh, it's so cool. It's so cool. We got yes. to interview um, Stu Krieger, amazing guy. He wrote all the Xenon movies, Smart House, Gotta Kick It Up, The Phantom of the Megaplex, Cowbells, um, The Land Before Time, and he was so gracious with his time. Yes. Um, haha, get it. Um, (laughs) and he sat down with us. We got to ask him questions about his career and writing for Disney Channel, and he gave us some great behind-the-scenes stories.
0: So uh, here it is. Please enjoy our interview with
1: Stu Krieger. All right. We are here with Mr. Stu himself. Stu, how are you? I'm great. I'm Um. just... Very happy to be here. Very happy to be with you guys. Oh, my gosh. Well, thank you so much again. We are so honored that you're taking your time out of your day um, to, you know, entertain us Disney Channel fans and fans of your work and like pick your brain of all things that you like. Do, do I always wonder, do you know the impact of the movies like after you write them? Or is it like now that the people you wrote them for are now older and come talk to you? Um, about like Xenon and Smart House and got to kick it up and stuff like that.
2: What's interesting about the entertainment business in general is that you are never a success as long as you are in it. Mm-hmm. So what I mean by that is it's always about the next job. It's always about what are you working on? There's a hundred things in my career that were in development at one point and then fell apart for another, you know, a number of unknown reasons, sometimes known reasons, Uh, (laughs) but what happens is, you know, you have your friends, you have your network, you have your agents and everybody's like, Hey, what happened to that thing you were doing with Spielberg? And what about this thing? What about that thing? And it's always making you feel like a failure, even when you're succeeding. And so what was really, really interesting is I made the turn to academia in 2006. And that was really the first time that I had kind of a global appreciation for the impact of my work, because um, I don't know if you guys have context for who Haley Mills is, but she was like the biggest Disney star of the 60s.
1: Oh, yeah, like the OG, yes. OG Disney star. <laughs> yeah. Becca's yeah. like a huge like Pollyanna fan.
2: Right? I was. So yeah. one of the stories that I have told many, many times is I was a Haley fanatic when I was a little kid. And I mean, I used to literally go to the movie houses where her films were playing and beg the manager of the theater, can I have those posters when the movie's done running? And sometimes (laughs) they would let me and sometimes not. But I had like an entire wall of my bedroom wallpapered with pictures of Haley. And, you know, it was also during the Beatles era. And I would go to school and see some of my female friends with fan magazines and I would say, you know, if there's an article about Haley in there, can you rip it out and give it to me, please? <laughs> and they would, and you know, so I had this incredible collection and just a fanatic fan. And then in 1986, I found out that they were going to do a sequel to Parent Trap, so not the Lindsay Lohan remake, but a Disney Channel sequel with Haley now growing up, playing the same the twins again. And I went to my agent and I said, "You have to get me this job. Tell them I will very happily pay them." If I can write this movie for Haley Mills, it's you know my dream come true. And they called me and said, we did our research. There's a writer on the project. We're really sorry, we tried, not gonna happen. And about two months later, I got a call. I was on vacation in Hawaii and my agent said, if you can be back in town on Monday, they got the script, they don't like it. They wanna start over, but they have a really hard deadline because Haley's doing a play on Broadway in January and they have to shoot before that. Do you think you could write the script in three weeks? And I said, I could write the script tonight. (laughs) We got to go. And so I went, I got the job. I was, you know, I think it was like the shortest turnaround I've ever done in terms of script to green light we're going. I was on a plane Mm -hmm. flying to Tampa, Florida, where they were shooting the movie, going to meet my childhood idol and just going, you know, make her be wonderful. It would be so disillusioned. she was some terrible biatch and, you know, <laughs> arrived, got off the plane. She walked in and she went, darling, it's so lovely to meet you. I love your script. And it was like, <gasps> oh, hey. so the whole reason I'm telling this story is we ended up becoming very good friends. We are still friends. We, she was just here in January and we got to have brunch with she and her boyfriend, my wife and I, and we were at an event honoring her for Turner Classic Movies probably seven or eight years ago. And we were there as her guests. And people were coming up to her and saying, does it get so boring that you still have to talk about these films that you did, you know, 50 and 60 years ago? And she said, no, the fact that I've had this impact and the impact has continued and I'm a part of people's childhood, what could be better than that? And for me, it's slowly now become the same thing (laughs) in a really wonderful way. But, you know, where I started was I never had a sense of it when I was in it. And then when I started teaching, and the thing that I've said many, many times is I had more people come into my office and say thank you in the first six months of teaching than I did in 30 years of show business. So, <laughs> yeah.
1: Well, I know for sure me and Beckon can add to your thank yous because the amount of times we've watched your movies and replayed them and not only like Disney Channel movies, I was a huge Land Before Time fan i remember like i have a distinct memory of me and my cousins like gathering around the tv and watching it over and over again and then like recreating it as ourselves or like we're pretending (laughs) to be dinosaurs and all that stuff um so once again thank you and it's so awesome we get to talk to you um but before we stop talking about land before time because i need to know yes The reaction to, um, I'm sure you get a lot of reactions to um, people saying, why did you kill um, Littlefoot's mother? And I'm going to ask that question to you, Stu. Did you know you were crushing (laughs) the hearts of millions with that scene?
2: (laughs) Um, And it's really funny, because especially when the movie was first out, I would have parents come up to me like at my kid's elementary school and you, I got to talk to you. You (laughs) (laughs) My kid didn't stop crying for three days. Uh, The truth of the matter is, and it's not throwing anybody under the bus, but the original impetus came from Spielberg. And part of it was he was talking about the impact that Bambi had on him as a kid when Bambi's mother gets shot and killed. And one of the things he was saying is he always felt that Disney did such a good job. of There was always some kind of dark element. There was always some kind of force that the heroes had to navigate and get past and all the rest of it. And he said, you know. Thinking about his own childhood, I really feel like that's how I started to navigate difficult concepts like death and that not everybody in the world is nice and some of those things. And so he said, you know, let's talk about what would happen if part of the story is the, you know, ultimately in defense of her children, Mama Dinosaur gets killed and they have to cope with that.
1: Yeah, because like the animation alone, like when... um for those of you who cast your mind back to Land Before Time, when she's, like, on the ground and the rain is hitting her, I'm like, what is going on? I never thought I could feel so much for a dinosaur. <laughs> but here I am. And, like, the, uh, it's just Land Before Time is so, um, it's, like, such a beautiful movie.
0: So while we're touching on that, I mean, we know that you've had this, like, very expansive career. We talked about Parent Trap 2 very briefly, Xenon, uh, Land Before Time. Are there any other, like, Major highlights that you feel like really stood out to you among other things that you've worked on. You
2: know, it's interesting. I've heard many other actors and filmmakers say this, and I really, really do feel like it's true. In order to be able to do the things we do, it's kind of your favorite is the thing you're working on in the moment. Uh, you know, because it becomes the all-consuming passion. It becomes there. There's never a more thrilling day than when you don't s- start alone in your office with a blank. For me originally, it was a you know, piece of paper in the typewriter and ultimately computer screen. And then the day that you get to walk on a set, and I have this such a vivid memory of I took my daughter to the set of smart house. And you know, you walk onto the sound stage and you open a door and there's the smart house. And, you know, it's, it's the kitchen the way you described it, and it's the orange juice maker, and then it's the kid bouncing on the bed with the projection screens behind her, and it's all of those things, and you you have this moment of like, damn. You know, I was sitting by myself in my office going, bing, 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 and, uh, you know, there's a hundred people walking around and it looks like it was supposed to look and that's never not thrilling. And so I was very fortunate on most of the Disney Channel movies, even when they were shooting out of town, they would fly me to wherever for the first week. And so I'd usually be there for the table read for the re- couple days of rehearsal and for the first couple days of shooting. And it was sort of then once everything was up and running like you guys are good, you got this, I'm out. And I would go back home, and they were also really good about sending daily. So most days I would get to watch the previous day's footage. You know, the messenger bag would come late in the afternoon with all the DVDs that they were <laughs> shot the day before, and it's always throwing.
1: Yeah. And um, Becca just mentioned uh, Xenon, and that's probably one of the, I would say, Disney Channel's first big franchise. Yeah, yeah. You got high school musical, you got Cheetah Girls, but I think Xenon was the first one that really was like, oh, we can really expand this world and i just love to hear the story of because i know xenon was a book right so how did you did you know of the book and presented it to disney channel or did they find you and stuff like that
2: yes so uh i was a known entity there i had had done parent trap 2 and the freaky friday with shelly long and gabby hoffman at that point Mm
1: -hmm. um
2: so i was called in and this was a really really interesting lesson that i talked to my students about all the time of Do your research. So uh, the DCOM franchise had just started. The only thing that was done and in post-production at that point was under wraps. And I got a call and they said, we're starting this franchise. We're going to be doing a movie a month initially um, here. And they sent me the picture book. And it really is like this thick, you know, a tiny little kid's picture book, Xenon Girl of the 21st Century. And they said, take a look at this and come in and pitch us how you would approach it. And when I went into the producers on it, it was Suzanne Costin and Suzanne depass And I went in to meet with the Susannes, as they were known. <laughs> and they, their head of development said, we got to be honest with you. You are the 20th writer we're interviewing on this. We're meeting with a bunch of people to get their take on it. Pitch. And so I said, well, to me, what this book is, is it's Eloise at the Plaza on the space station. I love that. And we <laughs> talked a little bit more and they went, you're hired. And they said, the reason you're hired is there were 19 writers that came in before you and every one of them told a variation on it's 90210 meets Star Trek. And Disney Channel doesn't do Star Trek, Disney Channel doesn't do 90210, that's not who we are. You understand who we are. And part of the thing that had preceded that is when I was, you know, after I got the meeting, I said, are there any of the movies done yet? And they mentioned under wraps and I said, can I see it? And they sent me down a rough cut and I watched it before I went in. And so I had a sense of what they were trying to do. I had a sense of what those movies were gonna be. And I pitched something that was in their wheelhouse as opposed to going in blind and saying it's 90210 meets Star Trek. Oh
1: my gosh, that's, yeah. 90210, I don't see Disney uh, Channel ever doing like a 90210 Jr. So I think Eloise at the Plaza is like a really great uh, one. Um, now with Xenon, it's known for the catchphrases like Zetaslopidis, Stuhler-Narrier, Ner- whatever it is. <laughs> now, do you know that there's like this big controversy that people think it was spelled with a Z, but it's actually spelled with a C, right? How did you come up with Zeta Zetaslopidis? So,
2: <laughs> be smart, do your research, know your universe. So when I was starting to think about now, I've got to write the movie, it was, where has this kid lived? She's lived on the space station. What is she exposed to? She's exposed to technology and she's exposed to the galaxy outside of her window. And if you remember the opening shot of the first movie is that, you know, she's waking up in bed, the alarm went off, she looks out the window, and we realize she's in space. And so I had a big astronomy dictionary, you know, next to my <laughs> computer when I was first working out the story, and Cetus is a constellation. And so I would just like flip pages and go, what's an interesting, fun word? And okay, Cetus is a constellation. She's got the kind of energy where she'd just be rhyming things. So Cetus lepidus, you know, and, and <laughs> so the Lapidus part is completely made up, but the Cetus was based on the constellation Cetus, C-E-T-U-S. And what's very funny, and if, if you've been following me on Instagram, and if not, you should be. Um, but there's a story that I tell in one of the little clips where my son came in and he goes, seize the penis. And it's like, <laughs> no, dude, she's not saying seize the penis. <laughs> she said, so, so that was the other mythology that then he made sure it kind of got launched into the universe that Xenon's saying seize the penis. And it's like, you know so oh my like, where that one came from. And then if you look at all the rest of the slang in the movie, everything is either some kind of technology term flipped around. So, you know, things like it's a disaster major and a disaster minor, where like Ursa major, Ursa minor constellations. Hmm. And then stellar, another space term. But Then there's also tech terms, uh, you know, that she's using throughout. And then, you know, the other thing I've gotten in a couple interviews is, like, you basically invented the iPad, you know? They've got oh, yeah communication device. And I said, again... <laughs> the two things that I did is I went and I spent two days at the jet propulsion lab in Pasadena talking to the scientists about future tech. Like, what are you guys working on? What kinds of things are you thinking? And so some of it was that, but then things like the, you know, I forget what they call it, (laughs) whatever their communication iPad version is. I was just like, okay, you know, the original computers took up an entire room. Now we have desktops, what's going to be the next thing? It's going to be even more portable. You know, it, it didn't seem like I am an amazing, you know, prognosticator. Right. Just sort of like take what we got and extrapolate right. to the future of where it would go.
1: Take the wins to t- t- take the idea like <laughs> I did that. I did that, it. Yes. We need to
0: get uh we need to get Apple on the phone and give you your, your, right. your due diligence. <laughs>
1: right. Yeah
0: um so when they were pitching xenon did they know that it was going to be three movies and did they know that they wanted you involved with all of them or was that just kind of forming as the movies were coming out
2: yeah what happened was like i said because the franchise was doing a movie a month there was this incredible pipeline and as part of the reason i ultimately i did 12 movies for them there's a couple that i didn't end up getting screen credit on because the um Writers Guild arbitrates how much, who contributed, what, where to get actual screen credit. But there were 12 of them that I ended up working on. And two badges of honor that I'll give the answer to your question the long way around was they held a party for the first 50 movies. And it was a big, all the stars and all the people that worked on all the movies were there. And it was a big you know, flashy event and tons of fun. And at one point when Gary Marsh, who was the head of the Disney Channel at the time, got up to make the introductory remarks of the evening, He said, you know, we've done our first 50 movies and I have to acknowledge that 10 of them were written by one guy and it was me. And it was like, (laughs) you know, again, pretty good batting average that one fifth of the output of the first 50 movies I had done. But part of the reason I believe that happened and it's another thing that's wonderful to impart to my students is I was dependable. If I pitched something, I delivered what I pitched to them. If I told them, you know, if they said to me, we needed a week from Friday, they got it a week from Friday. So I think it was the combination of, I really understood who they were and what they were doing. The other little insider (laughs) tidbit if you watch my filmography is I have a son who's four years older than my daughter. And if you watch the siblings in my movies, they progressively get a little bit older each time. (laughs) And that's because I was basically writing my kids. And the office that I'm sitting in right now is at the front of our house and it has double-paned acoustic doors like a recording studio. And my kids were always raised to believe you know to know if the doors are closed daddy's working leave them alone and then if the doors are open you can go talk to them but what i would do is they'd be here playing with their friends and stuff and i'd open the door i'd listen to them for five minutes i'd close the door and start writing <laughs> <laughs> and so i i always felt like my kids sounded like real kids because they were and that's what the audience related to and cared about so in answer to the franchise about it the other badge of honor was when they then had the party for the 100th movie and I had kind of moved on. and was teaching full time at that point. Gary was still the head of the channel and he got up and he said, when people come up to me and want to talk about the decoms, most people assume that the thing I get hit on most is about High School Musical. And he said, it's actually not. The two things people want to talk to me most about are Xenon and Smart House. And I was like, yes. Oh
1: yeah.
2: <laughs> yes. <laughs> so the evolution of the three movies was the first one was a very very huge success for them in terms of not only initial ratings but then all the replays continued to grow the audience for the franchise and so then it was you know we have a hit let's try to do a second movie and that's where the sequel came from and then the third movie (laughs) was originally going to be a feature film and they
1: were like in the theaters yeah,
2: it's gotten big enough because they did do the Even Stevens movie. I think there was one other...
1: There was, at the time, I think the only one that made it to theaters was Lizzie McGuire.
2: Right, right. It was That's right. It was the Lizzie McGuire movie. So they were going to do it as a feature film. And again, because it's Hollywood, what ended up ultimately happening is the studio, which was Hollywood Pictures at that point, part of Disney, and the Disney Channel got in a turf war over who's the ultimate arbiter who gets to decide final things with the script, with the story, with the, and they got in a power struggle with each other. And finally the studio went, if we're not in charge, we're not making it. And the channel went, well, it's our property. You're not going to be in charge. We're taking it back. Wow. And they took it back and made it a Disney channel movie. But if you watch the third movie, <laughs> there's certain things that are kind of really, really, it's bigger than the budget provided for it. Yeah. And they didn't go so there's some things that look really cheesy and really cheap and really like you know are we on the moon or are we on the parking lot in South Africa <laughs> You know, <laughs> so that's wow. part of the reason why it kind of
1: Z3 yeah. Z3 baby now this is just uh, again just because I'm curious about how sequels work and especially like Disney Channel sequels now I don't know how involved you are like post-writing, because I know you said you spend a time on set for a week, just kind of make sure everything's going according to like your vision and stuff like that. So in Xenon 1, Raven plays the best friend, right? And then Xenon 2 happened, and then Raven's not there. Her character's there, but she's played. But then in Xenon 3, Raven's back. So I'm wondering, does the script come first? And you're just kind of crossing your fingers that everyone's schedule comes around to it, it and like how does that work
2: yeah on the sequel we knew going in that we weren't going to have raven because that's when she was doing her show mm-hmm. and it was just absolutely impossible because the Zequel was going to shoot yeah that was new zealand and then the third was was south africa so you know we can't they could not spare her for five weeks to go to new zealand when the show was also in production so before we ever started we knew and then there was the conversation of, you know do we just have another actor playing Nebula is it new best friend? What are we doing? And ultimately landed where we landed.
0: Mm-hmm. And then
2: for the third one, the reason she basically has a cameo where it's, you know, she, she's not fully actively there. <laughs> yeah. new friends, but she gets to make her appearance, I think on the Zap Pad. I, I don't think, even think, I don't think they're in this a scene together. I think it's yeah.
1: No, if memory serves correctly, it's all like via video chat. Yeah, yeah. And again, that
2: was because she was still in production on the show, but then it was like, we can take a day and do those inserts without having to fly her anywhere, have, to have her have to be on location. But the fans will be excited to have her back. So yeah. that was how that happened.
1: Because I do remember watching this sequel to Xenon and being like, that's not Raven. I know. I've seen the, the first one plays on TV all the time. I know a false Raven when I see one. Nope. <laughs> um And you talked about multiple, multiple decoms under your belt, some of the most iconic ones, Smart House, um, Cowbells, Phantom of the Megaplex, Gotta Kick It Up. Is there one besides Xenon that kind of like has like a special place in your heart according to like all those?
2: Yeah, I mean, I was not the first writer on Smart House. And so another thing about my track record that I'm very proud of Is of the movies I did, I was either the only writer or the last writer. And the distinction of being the last writer on a film, it means that your draft is the one that got the green light into production. And so, one of the things that I felt about my relationship with them is I'm a writer who writes mostly from character. I have to know who the people in the story are, I have to know what those relationships are. And so, with Smart House, a lot of the bones of the framework of the movie and the AI that gets out of control and all of that was in the draft that I was sent. Um, but they kind of felt like it doesn't yet have the heart. It doesn't yet have the connection between the characters and you know kind of Ben's want, what's the thing that he's really longing for and kind of how that all evolved was the stuff that I added to the movie. And Katie Seagal was so incredible as Pat. And, and again, because I got to go and watch one of the days that she was in full pat mode and be on the set and see all of that happen. And then,
0: you know,
2: hearing people's reaction to it and hearing people talk about it years after. I think that and Xenon really are the two that I feel the greatest affinity for. Mm-hmm. But then, you know, I mean, Cowbells is a ton of fun. And there were there was aspects of every one of them that was
1: yeah. wonderful. I mean, gotta kick it up si se puede is uh, <laughs> like that, that is a term everyone knows you know? And yeah. do people come up to you and be like, well, you know, Pat from smart house was the first Alexa. Oh yeah. And like all the time, I'm sure. Yeah. Um, and, and like, I know for me, I see on the internet, like people will recut smart house into a horror movie yeah. and all that stuff. which <laughs> I think is I love smart house. That's probably like, I know, um, my sister and I would love the, the parts of the the walls turning into the video screens and stuff. We always want to live in that house, like distinct memories, of like visual things from that movie really stand in my brain <laughs> and the test of time. Like, you can't ask me about like, who was like the fifth president of the United States, but I can tell you the point where Ryan Merriman tries to unlock the door and he gets electrocuted. There you go. Um, so, you know, that that's what I offer to society, Stu. And I thank nice. you for that.
0: <laughs> and what well, I'm gathering well, is well, that Amazon thing. and Apple both need to be writing YouTube, right? <laughs> <laughs>
1: right. Well, you know, it's
2: very funny because uh, anything that I know of these films life in social media is because students will send me things all the time because i am not actively on social media and one of the things that very somewhere in the last six months katie seagal was tweeting about god damn it i'm the original alexa where's my checks
1: (laughs) sent me her tweets about it which was really funny she knows the impact she knows the impact (laughs) yep
0: So going like having such an extensive career, I mean, I feel like watching these Disney Channel movies, there's the tone from the in the 90s ones is kind of like it's very different from the ones in like the the 2000s, the early 2000s, like going all the way to 2005 and six. Did you were there like any changes that you noticed in the process or just like the stars or anything about just how like how the Disney Channel just evolved over the time that you were writing for them? Yeah, one
2: of the things that was, you know, the line you were always walking was, for instance, they had a thing about parents could be dead, but they couldn't be divorced. <laughs> mm. and, and it was always like, you guys, you know, we're in an era where 50% of the kids growing up have divorced parents. Why is this such a shameful thing? And it was just like, there's two months then we got to deal with where's the other parent? And is it joint custody? Who's getting dropped off where? And we just rather not go there at all. If you know, if you only want one uh, on-site parent, just kill the other one, it's easier. (laughs) (laughs) And and I think that eased up over time. And so there were certain things, even like when I went to the screening of, I think it was because of the 100th movie, it was the screening of Adventures in Babysitting, the remake that they did. And I was kind of surprised by how much looser and I mean, the romantic, there was a whole bunch of things that I was not able to do in the early movies that were now suddenly appearing. And I think it was, again, just trying to stay relevant, trying to stay up to speed of, you know, the kids were gradually getting more sophisticated and exposed to more at a younger age. And so I think they did try to do that. And and I don't know if it was always successful.
1: Yeah. Cause I don't, Cause I piggybacking off of what Becca said, I know for me, like the nineties, I guess, cause you started the decom trend. Like they didn't really have anything to, I'd say there's a different shift up until high school musical where now they kind of like, Oh, this is what we want to do now. And before it was like the, a movie about cheerleading, um, a movie about, uh, a uh, technologically advanced house, like, you know, stuff like that. And then once they got high school musical, it's like, this is the box we want to do. This is like the polished thing. So I would say like cowbells was, I think fell into that realm of like, cause Ali and AJ were very popular yeah. at the time. So I'm wondering, was there like an impact, I guess, like decom parameters as I like to ask, were there any like rules you had to, um, go by like, you can't have this in a decom. You can have this, but maybe not as much as that. And especially with kind of big celebrities at the time, Ali and AJ, was there like, okay, if they're going to do your movie, they have to have a song in it or like stuff like that.
2: It wasn't quite that formal. It really was a case by case basis, depending on you know what the target was, what the day was, what the mood was. And certain, like I said, of the movies I did, half of them were things that I was sent a script of, you know, we like the premise, we like certain things about it, but there's a lot we don't like and we're up against the deadline and come in and again, pitch your rewrite take, pitch what you would do to it. And with each subsequent movie, I felt I knew more and more and more about what their wheelhouse was, what their comfort zone was. I had my own personal line in the sand with them. And it's something, again, I've talked to my students quite a bit about, which was, I would never put a stupid father in one of my scripts. (laughs) And, you know, that was such an incredible trope of family films of mom goes to the market and all hell breaks loose because dad's a bumbling idiot. And you know, suddenly the washing machine's walking across the floor and the top's off the blender and shit's flying everywhere. (laughs) Sort of like, you know what? My wife goes away for three days at a time and the kids don't end up in the oven. I'm good, right? you know? (laughs) So that is something that's very important to me. I'm not gonna portray an incompetent idiot dad. And every once in a while, there'd be some push, Well, what if he this? No, I'm not doing it. Like, you know, that's not happening in my movie. And I don't think I ever lost one of those battles, but it was something that I would actively have to say, you know, this is something I am not comfortable putting out in the universe. I don't want that stereotype perpetuated.
1: Yeah. I think that's always good. Yeah. Cause I, at least for me, I love when the parents and especially Disney channel stuff, especially when I get older, like, yes, you better lay down that law. They can't do that. Come on now. <laughs> let's let's go to the thing. Um, yeah. Has anyone, this is kind of going, but you mentioned that sometimes you weren't credited for other DCOMs just based off rules and regulations, what have you. Have there been projects that you would have loved to do with the Disney Channel that maybe for whatever reason, they didn't come to fruition or they almost did, or maybe, I know for me, I think it is very um, inclined for Disney to re-examine the Xenon universe and bring it back in some way? Because I think that's just a universe that still has life in it for me at least.
2: Well, it's funny you should ask that
1: question. (gasps) Um,
2: They have been trying for about five years to either remake it or do something. And at that 100th movie party that I mentioned, Adam Bonnet, who was the head of series at the time, came up and said, "You know, we're interested in rebooting Xenon. We're trying to figure out how to do it. We've had a couple of meetings. I'm so happy you're here tonight. Do you want to come in and talk about it? And I had what I thought was a brilliant take. (laughs) Um, And part of my son is now a writer director and has been for the last 10 years. And I said to them, I have an idea that I would love to do with my son and think about the built-in publicity that you guys would have of, you know, My son who grew up on these movies is now a writer director himself and we're doing it as a legacy movie where I'm passing the torch and we're writing it together. Come on guys, it sells itself. But but then the other thing I was saying to them and and it was at the same time that Creed came out and I said, the reason Creed succeeded is they did the legacy movie. And if you're going to bring the franchise back you have to have some of the OG players in it. And you have to then, if you wanna set up for a new franchise there's a new kid who's the you know this generation's version of Xenon in terms of her energy, her mischief, her curiosity, but you have to start with the passing of the baton movie. And, you know, Gus is my son. He and I came up with a great story. And basically without going too deep, what the premise was, was Xenon is now the teacher on the space station. And it's the ultimate be careful what you wish for because she has the student that's the younger version of her that she now has to try to discipline and wrangle and get in line. And, you know, and Stuart Pankin, who played Commander Plank in all three of the movies, is a friend of mine. So, I, when I first told him they were trying to reboot it, he was like, dude, you got to get me in. Commander Plank's still around, right? <laughs> and, and I said, whatever goes, you know, I'm not the military dude, but whatever goes above Admiral, it was like, yeah, you can be this guy now. You know, you'll be the, the, the supreme ruler of all things space station. so, When I went in, I said, you know, here's how we have to do it. We get Kirsten to play her Xenon again. She's the teacher on the space station. She's got this. And then there was a whole long involved adventure that they got into together. It had a great climax. It had a great, you know, resolution. I was stoked. (laughs) And, you know, had the great meeting with the two executives. They were like, oh, my God, this is so much fun. This is so amazing. This is so Cool. And then about three weeks later, no, we're not doing that. We're going in a different direction. Thank you. Wow. And then I got a call from the original producers saying, you know, they have a writer on it. They really don't understand the franchise. They're really kind of missing the mark of what this is all about. Will you take a look at it? And maybe, you know, and, and you know, maybe we can bring you on board to, you know, do something with it. <laughs> so I read that draft and it was just, I mean, and it, it was basically like Xenon suffering from depression. It it wasn't a legacy movie at all. It was like just a remake where there's going to be a new kid playing Xenon. There's going to be a new kid. I mean, everybody playing, you know, just Mm -hmm. a remake, not, not at all a sequel, not at all a legacy movie, not anything but a pure remake. And, and it was like, so like the tone of it, the language of it. And then when I kind of was very undiplomatic with the original producers, they, had the catchphrases Zetus, like you said, with a Z, but then it, the second word wasn't even Lapidus. It was something completely different. And I just called them up and I said, you know, if these people didn't even care enough to do enough research to know the freaking catchphrase, <laughs> I'm out. Like, I'm really happy to let my work stand on its own as the original three movies. And, and I don't want anything to do with this. And if you guys want to continue on, best of luck to you. I, you know, no hard feelings, good. And then I n- never heard anything about it again. And like, you know, we haven't seen the movie five years later, so.
1: Well, maybe it's true what they say. Like, <laughs> don't touch what is already like perfect, I guess. I always, I don't know how you feel about it, but I felt maybe like an animated Xenon series. Yeah? There
2: was, it could have been. And, and there was an actual time where it was going to be a live action series with Kirsten. And, th- and this is another, the number of ways show business can find to break your heart. My slogan is always just when you think they found every possible way, they find a new way. <laughs> and what happened with on the series was I got a call on a Thursday from the original producer saying, we just came out of a meeting. They're picking us up to series. We've got, I forget whether the original order was 12 episodes or 20 episodes, or whatever it was. Um, you know, we got to come up with how we're going rip, to, rip, rip. we got a couple of days to do that um but we're going you're you're the head writer and executive producer along with us we're doing this we're doing this we're the, uh, your agent's being called to negotiate your deal it's all happening it's like yay that's so great uh friday afternoon i got a call we're not making a series <laughs> and it was like okay what now <laughs> um and what happened is nobody told kirsten that they were thinking of doing a series and thursday night she signed a three-year contract with general hospital To be the star of oh oh,
1: no, always (laughs) check with Xenon. Come on,
2: (laughs) Uh, because they did not have her under any kind of first look holding deal or anything else. So she was a free agent and signed that deal. And what was interesting is they just said, you know, we think that she's so identifiable as as the character at this point that you know we potentially could recast her, but we don't think that would be wise. We think the fans would rebel, and so we're not Mm -hmm. making a series.
1: Hey, but at least we got sequels with an awesome title like Xenon the Sequel. You know, not a lot of people can say their sequel's <laughs> name is Zequel. So hats off to you, Stu, with that. I how, do. How, how'd you come up with Zequel? By the way. Um,
2: my wife of now 41 years will say you can't ever turn him off in terms of like, <laughs> you know, there's there's kind of like a, a pun thing in my brain that immediately happens. And they were they were in a meeting and when they were first saying we want to do a second movie. I just like it rolled out of my face without even thinking about it. I said, you mean the sequel? And, <laughs> and so, like, you know, you're doing a, scene, a sequel to Xenon. Why wouldn't it be the sequel? So, it, it, but it really truly was one of those things I didn't even fully think about. You know, it was just, they said, we're doing a second movie. It's like, well, it's a sequel. Of course it is.
1: Z- sequel with a Z. Sequel with a Z. There you go.
0: Hey, it's better than just shoving the number two somewhere. <laughs> right. Exactly. I'll, I'll take it. Um, this is kind of a random question, but I just watched Phantom of the Megaplex for the first time a couple years ago, and I loved it. I love how just like it's so wacky and zany, and like Mickey Rooney, like, <laughs> did you know Mickey Rooney was work on that project?
2: No, um, and he was not, I mean, nobody was assigned to that part when the movie. So, how that movie came about, and it was really interesting about again my relationship with the channel because Michael Healy was the head of movies for the entire time that I was involved with them for the 12 movies I did do. And I got a call from him one day and he, he said, can you come in for a meeting? I have something I want to talk to you about. And I went in and he said, I was driving to work the other day and I just came up with the concept of Phantom of the Opera, Phantom of the Megaplex. All I got is the title, what do you got? And he was like, I think, no, he must've given me the title first. Cause he said, come in and pitch me, you know, what it would be. And I had not that long ago seen the Phantom of the Opera musical. So I kind of had the basic story in my head of, you know, the guy who haunts the theater and all the kind of signposts of what that would be. And then, like I said, you know, start with character. And so thinking about who Pete was and what, why he was working at the theater and what his love of movies was all about. And then starting building the ensemble of his um, siblings first, and then the other kids at the movie theater. And so it just organically started to grow into this thing. And then you know, the ultimate, what became the Mickey Rooney character, we had a long list of wanting it to be some kind of iconic Hollywood figure, ultimately, and then who can we get who's available? And I, I'm not, I don't want to misquote, because I'm not sure who else was on the list, but it was people of, you know, that ilk that had been, you know, big stars, 30s, 40s, 50s, and now might have been haunting a movie theater.
1: <laughs> so that's how we ended up with mickey rooney yeah i know i that's felt like time. it was like a trend for some reason because around that time i think halloween town came out and you had like debbie reynolds <laughs> and then like the next week mickey rooney and so you're like okay turner classic movies <laughs> here yeah disney disney is loving it um okay. do you have some favorite onset memories just like seeing your work come to life chatting with the cast you're like oh my gosh i'm talking to xenon who was in my head for so many years and now she's talking to me in full costume this is craziness
2: yeah i think probably protozoa in terms of because he was so incredible in terms of it was everything and more that i envisioned the role to be and it's one of those things where i've talked to my students again about this particular thing of one of the most thrilling days of your career if you are lucky enough to have this is when you are doing a table read for the first time with the cast together at the table and it's often the first time they've met each other and there's a rhythm that gets going and you do you know, a little bit, hey, how you doing? Welcome, blah, 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 And then you start to read the script and when actors find funny in places that you didn't even know were funny or they take a line that you thought like, this is mildly amusing and they get belly laughs from the whole table. It's so thrilling to watch what actors bring to the roles and how they can take something that you know could be pretty flat on the page unless they imbue it with the things that is their gift. And he was one for me that every single line he nailed and he got the humor, he got the cheekiness. You know, there was always a bit of Mick Jagger in Protozoa for me. And I thought all of that, you know, just kind of the way he moved, the way he was just in charge of the room whenever he was in a scene was just wonderful. And and so, you know, that was thrilling. And, and Philip was just a lot of fun. So, I mean, that was great. And then it's always, Okay, look, and, and you know, when we did the first movie, I think Kirsten was 13 and Raven was 12. And we shot up in Vancouver. And I have some, you know, of my own pictures that I shot that day, but it's like, they were little kids running around the set in their costumes, but like in and out of the trailer and running through the space station. And it was just like, <laughs> you know, it's these little kids having fun doing this. And it's it's really fun to watch. And then with Phantom and the Megaplex, we shot in Toronto. And what was great was it was in the summer, and my father-in-law was sick, and my wife was taking care of him, and my son was off at overnight camp, and so I took my daughter with me. And Taylor Hamley, who played Pete, and Caitlin Wax, who was the sister, Karen, were my daughter's age. She was between the two of them, and so I was, you know she was hanging out every day. But then at night they would be like, you know, we're going to the mall for dinner tonight. You guys want to come? And it was just like <laughs> you know hanging out. And I remember while we were there, one of I forget which one, but one of the Harry Potter books was coming out the next morning and Caitlin's mom said, why don't I take Rosie and Caitlin to the mall so they can get their copy of the book? And, you know, so it just became this, like we went to an amusement park that weekend with Taylor's mom and Caitlin's mom and me and Rosie. And so it just becomes this really fun, like family for the time you're shooting the movie.
1: That's so cool. So so fun to hear like what was going on behind the scenes, like imagining little Raven in her spacesuit. Come on, like, come on, let's have some fun. <laughs> yeah.
0: Well, you have this wonderful wall behind you that you mentioned before we started recording of a picture from every production you've ever worked on, obviously expanding this wonderful career. Um, so what are you up to now? If there's anything that our listeners could look forward to from you or where they could find you or just like where, what you're doing on the daily.
2: So full-time teacher, uh, which is a full-time job. So kind of when I retired from active show business was, uh, like I mentioned earlier, I first started at UC Riverside in 2006. And at the time I was the head writer and story editor on Toot and Puddle, which was an animated show for Nickelodeon. And right after I got hired at Riverside, the show got picked up. We'd been in development for a year or so. And as head writer, there were 20, we had a 26 episode order. I was writing nine of the episodes and story editing all the rest of them. And part of a story editor, your job is you take the notes from the studio, you take the notes from the production company, you deal with all the staff writers, you kind of distill the notes, you give them to them, their draft comes to you, you rewrite it, send it back to the studio. So that alone was like a 50 hour a week job. And I was teaching full time and, you know, came home one night and I said to my wife, now I'm working 90 hours a week. That wasn't the idea. You know? <laughs> it wasn't, wasn't what I intended when I you know, switched over to teaching full time. And so kind of, I believe in the universe talking to you and somewhere in this part of the process, my agent called and said, I just need to let you know, I'm making a segue out of agenting into managing and potentially producing at some point. So I could turn you over to another agent here, if you'd like. And I said, no, you know what? I think this is the perfect time. It's not fair for me to go out for jobs that I then can't take because of my teaching obligations and commitments. I'm out. So I said at the time, you know, I am a writer. I will always need to write. I will always be writing. I just want to do it now in a different form that facilitates my teaching career. So I, for seven years, part of it interrupted when I was department chair for three years, Uh, I wrote a novel and that was published in 2017 called That One Cigarette, available on Amazon. Uh, (laughs) But it was an incredibly wonderful process and, and really fulfilling because one of the things I got to do with that project was all of my film and television work had always been very specific in terms of you know it's a Disney Channel movie we need 90 pages and we need it a week from Friday so there were all these parameters and specifications that when I wrote the book it was sort of it'll be done when it's done I'm going to take as long as I need to take it's going to be as long as it's going to be I have no idea I had uh, two graduate students working for me the first year doing research and then I had a first draft that was almost 600 pages and the final book is only 360 pages. So it was a really, really fun and wonderful process that allowed me to exercise different muscles as a writer. And then I've also written two plays that have been produced in between. Um, And then part of the reason I have recently stuck a toe into the social media world for the very first time, um, most of it is being curated by a former student of mine so I don't have to do the day-to-day stuff. (laughs) Um, But part of that is because I have a new book coming out in early next year, that I think is very, very much in the wheelhouse of the folks that grew up on my Disney Channel movies. Um, It is a family comedy. It's narrated by all four members of the family, the son, the daughter, the mother, the father take turns narrating different chapters depending on who's the right narrator for that bit of action. And the one line headline that I can give you is about a children's book author who's turning 50 and has a midlife crisis, gets in a fight with his wife, goes to bed and wakes up the next morning and he's a penguin. (laughs)
1: Whist.
0: I wasn't expecting that.
2: (laughs) Yes. So how I pitched it to the publisher who will be bringing the book out early next year, as I said, uh, when men have a midlife crisis, some leave their wives for a younger woman, some buy a hot sports car, Clark Whitaker turned into a penguin.
1: (laughs) He got the short end of that deal. <laughs> well i hope everyone uh picks up a copy next year because you know what um we all owe to everything you know
2: um so the good news is if you follow me on instagram at Stu Krieger, um bulletins about the book and when it will be coming it's called raft uh we i recently saw the cover design and it's fabulous um uh, so it will, it will be out early next year via Pipeline Press, but if you check it in Instagram, there'll be bulletins of the where, when, and how the rollout's gonna be happening. And I think, I mean, the thing that was very, very exciting to me when the publishers contacted me and I had you know, submitted the manuscript and they said, we're a small house that publishes one book at a time so that we have the budget to p- properly publicize it. And we had our full staff met and you were our unanimous choice for our 2023 book. Um congratulations if you know if you will have us, we would love to publish your book. And and but one of the things I was gonna say is they said part of what we responded to is you made us laugh or smile on every single page. And then at the end we teared up and it was like, all right, I've done my <laughs> job. So
1: awesome. I love it. Yes. Well, but yes, follow Stu on Instagram for all the updates on his stuff. Um and all the things he's working on. He's amazing. And Stu, once again, Thank you so much for taking the time and talking um, to us. You just want to say thank you so much for not only bringing us joy since we were we, wee little kids, but still bringing us joy now. Um, I know for uh, our podcast, we're rewatching some old things and we rewatched Xenon and it still holds up. It's still fun. The world is still so creative. So Thank you so much. Um, and yeah, thank you, thank you, thank you, times a million times. Yeah.
2: My pleasure. And thank you guys for being so prepared. I really, they were really good, smart questions, and it was a pleasure to talk to you.
1: Oh, good. Oh, good. All right. We are <laughs> Stu approved. Everyone hear that? We are <laughs> yeah. Stu approved. All right, Stu, thank you so much. We really appreciate your time. All right, guys. Take care. Well,
0: that was another excellent Disney Channel chat with our new buddy. Uh, Stu we Peter. are Stu
1: approved you heard it here first we are Stu folks.
0: approved everybody um
1: but every single one of these interviews we do as in every single one we've done <laughs> I'll, I'll all do. two but they have all been uh great um you, you just kind of yeah. kind of and i'm gonna say this every time we do one um knock on wood that we do more uh i just think that it's kind of like what is
0: happening what is going on i know it's it's crazy. So
1: once again, you heard us say thank you Stu a million times, but I'm going to add a million and one thank you Stu's. Um everyone say thank you Stu. Um Thank you Stu. But of course, how we end every Time Machine episode is we have to find out what is the Disney Channel lesson we learned today.
0: The Disney Channel lesson that I learned today is you need to get your space catchphrases correct if you want to be taken serious. Oh
1: yeah. I think my (laughs) Disney Channel lesson is if you want to make a TV show based off your DCOM, make sure your main character isn't in the know (laughs) so they're not off doing something else and you can't make one.
0: Right. Check with Xenon
1: first. (laughs) Um, All right. Well, if people want to know, Becca, how you zoom, 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 written by Stu Krieger, (laughs) where can they find you?
0: You can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Heyo, it's Becca, H-E-Y-O. You can subscribe to my YouTube channel, Becca Stogner. I will be doing a video before the end of 2022. So make sure you don't um, miss that. Also check out my other podcast, Youth Group Survivor Support Group, and check me out on TikTok at Becca's Rock. And if
1: you want to find me on all the social medias, I'm at Real Hunter Martin on Instagram, H Cameron Martin on Twitter. And if you want to keep up to date on everything about this podcast, follow us on Instagram, Twitter, TikTok. Just type in the Time Machine Podcast. You'll find us there. Rate and review us on Apple Podcast. Um, give us some five stars on Spotify if you ever so would kindly. Um leave us comments dm us tell us what you want to hear tell us what you don't want to hear tell us tell us what you want to hear more of um tell us what you like tell us what you don't like um we want you guys to have so much fun listening to this as we have making it
0: all right y'all well that is the end of our month celebrating our two-year anniversary two seriously fantastic guest episodes for our two year thank you so much to andrew and allison of league of the week and of course once again to Stu krieger um no new episode next week because it's happy happy thanksgiving time so i'm so be thankful because <laughs> i'm in the words of cory baxter i've got on my eating pants <laughs> <laughs> oh god <laughs> uh, that's my favorite picture i posted every year um but make sure you stick around after that because it will be month of, month mary, of mary time we have some and some fun we things. have some fun little surprises planned for this year's month of mary to get you guys in the holiday spirit um uh, we're gonna be unwrapping some fun little <laughs> presents for you in the month of mary yeah so
1: be on the lookout <laughs> uh, for that we'll be singing <laughs> we'll be dancing and we will be watching um
0: <laughs> all right so until next time we will see you later time travelers Buck your
1: seatbelts